1: Welcome back to the Working on Purpose show. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez, joining you live from Dallas, Texas, which is home base for me. If you've been tuning in for a while, you know this program is an inspirational thought leadership platform that advances the conversation on living and working with passion, inspiration, and purpose. I'm committed to helping create a world where business and capitalism are a force for good, constantly working to address the immense number of problems society faces, serving all stakeholders, certainly its employees among them. The Gallup organization reports that 85% of the global workforce does not want to go to work on Monday or whenever the shift starts. Let's change that together and instead make work an enriching part of life that ignites passion and expresses meaningful contribution through inspired leadership that elevates business. Each week in these conversations, I hope you walk away with something that changes the way you think or that you can immediately put to use. Much of the content we discuss on this program is a reflection of the work I do. So as you listen, if you catch a glimpse of anything I can do to help, go to my website at EliseCortez.com and use the contact me feature to message me. Let's talk about what's going on for you and how I might be able to help, whether it's consulting on Visioneering for a Greater Purpose among your stakeholders, the Vitally Inspired Leadership Program, the online Catch Fire Learning Communities, or Speaking for Your Company or Conference. At any rate, I'm glad we're connected. Thanks for listening. And on to this week's program. With us today is J.P. Lacour, the founder and chief connector at Brand Foundations, a firm that helps companies clarify their higher purpose, articulate it in their brand, and activate it in their culture. He's the chair of the New York City chapter of the Conscious Capitalism Movement. We'll be talking today about living in today's times with the coronavirus and the silver lining we think comes with it, and how the work he does at Brand Foundations can help steward the future development of companies going forward. He joined us today from New York City. J.P., welcome to Working on Purpose.
2: Thanks, Elise. It's great to be here.
1: Isn't it fun? It's so great. You know, you are a perfect person to be sharing <laughs> list with the listeners with today. So thank you for taking time for us.
2: No, oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me.
1: Well, one of my favorite ways to, to open the show, Patrick, because listeners who've been tuning in for a while know that I'm an identity and a meaning researcher. So let's start by presencing for our listeners just the soup of who you are. There's a lot that makes you. So if you were to try to help someone that you just met, at, say, at a conference or whatever, who is J.P. LaCour? What would you say?
2: Interesting. Well, um, first, I guess I would, I would sort of break it down this way. Um, I consider myself to be a family man, first and foremost. Um, husband and, and father to two uh, great kids. That's probably the most important thing in my life. And even as it comes to work, um, I sort of uh, organized my professional life about, uh, 15, 20 years ago, uh, around that I chose to kind of leave the corporate world, uh, to, to work on my own, uh, to be able to do it from home, uh, largely so that I could spend more time with my family. I made that decision really early on and it was driven in large part because, uh, um, I saw my father spend a, a long career in the corporate world, uh, very happy. It was great. You know, it was always had time with his family, but, um, but ultimately, uh, I didn't want to follow that path. I wanted to do something that gave me more freedom to be at home. And so I think I would call I would sort of reference that first. Uh, second, I guess I would identify myself as a skier and a biker, because those are two of my biggest passions, is to to, uh, to get out and ski and to, and to bike. And I do that a lot with my family and and uh, document a lot of that uh, online. And then third, I guess I would consider myself a brand guy, a brand and culture guy. And that's kind of my professional uh, um you know the piece of my my business and um i have a a, since I know purpose is at the heart of what you do uh, my my own personal purpose statement is to create understanding together and uh, i came at that after a long period of coaching uh uh and the idea is that everything i tend to do in my life whether that is uh um you know working with a client to help them understand the story of their brand and culture Uh, and embrace that, or whether I am hosting a conscious capitalism event, creating space for a thoughtful conversation, or I'm videoing myself and my family skiing and biking and sharing that online. It's always some kind of shared, uh, collaborative, creative um, exercise that helps people to either understand me or understand each other or understand the world a little bit better. So that's kind of how I create understanding together, I guess would be my motto.
1: What a beautiful contribution to the world, JP. It's just really great to know you and be connected to you. And as you know, we share many, many, many things. Yes. So now listeners, you know something about him. So now let's get into what's going on in the world, JP. So let's talk about the coronavirus pandemic. So you're in New York, I'm in Dallas. Mm How's it? How's it shown up for, for you and your world?
2: So, you know, it's strange. I've been working from home remotely and I live about um, an hour north of New York City, so I'm not in Manhattan, um, but certainly close enough uh, to be aware of the impact that it's having. Uh, But I've been working from home for a long time, so um, it's very odd. It's almost like, other than very little traffic here, my life hasn't changed that much. You know, My kids are home from school, obviously, my daughter had to come back from college. But they're all safe and healthy. My wife works from home as well. So we have our life on a day to day basis feels strangely uh, the same. And yet, you know, just through the news and and seeing what's on social media, we know, you know, 40 miles, 50 miles south of us, uh, things are pretty scary. And so um, it's just a very odd feeling. Um, you know, obviously, business has changed. Um, it's a little slower. Conversations are a little different that we're having now. Um, but um, but from a day-in, day-out standpoint, it's, it feels oddly similar. Um, just because I'm so used to working from home. Um, obviously, less travel as well. Um, but
1: Yeah, from my end, um, very similar. Uh, although now I'm starting to get more and more news as to, you know the mm-hmm. cascades of layoffs, et cetera, and people losing their jobs. and you know the just the what it's taking from right. people to be able to respond to a whole new, quote, normal, which is not going anywhere and yeah. you know really changing their their whole way of interacting with the world. And um right. you know, a big reason that I wanted to have you on the show in the first place is one, you're a conscious capitalism guy, and mm-hmm. I am too. Um, And already, I just believe in that. And I know that's a we're going to talk later about how that is a way forward. But I also really appreciate the perspective that you bring about the silver linings related to COVID-19, which is where I wanted to focus a lot of the conversation on today, because I think that the world desperately needs some hope right about now, JP. And they need to be able to see what's what's possible on the other side. So. What I wanted to mm-hmm. do was really get you to to delve into a little bit more of, of the presentation you gave last week to World Re- Retail Innovation Week about the silver linings of COVID-19. So what I'd like to do is just talk through some of the key points that you made in that presentation, and, and let's start by talking about even what you went through. You struggled to prepare for what to say. I mean, you knew you'd be talking about sustainability and yeah. conscious capitalism. That was easy enough to situate, but adding in the pandemic was something else. So. Tell us how you prepared and went through the process to, to talk about this. Sure.
2: Right. Well, like everybody, I've been reading a lot, worrying a lot, um, probably, you know, following too much news or not enough news. I don't know how you want to look at it. But, um, yes, that, you know, it's one thing to talk about conscious capitalism. One thing to talk about, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, even sustainability, which is what the point of that theme of that day of the conference was about. Um, and this was a virtual conference. It was all done online. But, you um, uh how i was going to work uh yeah do that within the context of the of the epidemic was was a challenge and I, ultimately what i ended up doing was going back to my purpose right this notion of creating understanding together and so i began to reflect back on the last month or so because this meet, this presentation was just on friday so it's very fresh and you know this has been going on i've been pretty much home for a month or so without travel and i've been watching this develop like everybody else and had a lot of conversations with friends and family and co-workers and what i started to notice was patterns in how people were sort of processing all of this, right? Um and I saw a little bit of a storyline emerging that I thought would help to provide some context to the events and some understanding ultimately, right? And and I did see within that some silver linings and how we are changing uh in response to this and how the world's changing. And I realized that those changes um while early, mapped pretty well to the movement of conscious capitalism and what I ultimately came up with was what I felt were the silver linings that might actually accelerate the adoption of the, move, of the movement. It's been around for a while, um, but I thought that this pandemic and our response to it might, might ultimately um, make people embrace that, that movement and some of the ideals behind it uh, more quickly.
0: So Yeah,
1: I'm absolutely in agreement with that, JP. And for me, as it was really registering that this was truly a pandemic, what I really got present to is, wow, this is a forced, hard reboot of the world. Yep. And, and that I think that from my vantage point, I think it's undeniable that we can pretty much recognize that we are no longer a planet full of a bunch of nations we are one group of people united under one planet and that we need to work together right Right. i think we finally figured that out now so i know one of the points that you made in your presentation which i was completely behind and you and i talked a little bit about this but you talk about how mother nature is trying to give us a wake-up call and has been for a while so yeah what your perspective on that
2: so yeah i I mean the first thing that i guess i would consider to be a, a, a silver lining is that um you know, Mother Nature has been, uh, sending us, it seems like there's been a series of slow moving disasters, right? You have greater and greater wildfires, you know, uh, like we saw last summer in Australia, that our winter, um, you know, bigger storms, high, you know, glaciers melting, right? All of these things have been going on, you know, 500 year floods in some areas and 10 year droughts in others. And, and, uh, these all seem like they're, they it's been mother nature kind of politely sending us these wake up, uh, you know, hey, pay attention here, tapping us on the shoulder and, and we're not paying, you know, we haven't been paying attention. We continue to go about uh, driving our SUVs, um, uh, you know, <laughs> continuing to run sweatshops and big factories and pull resources out of the ground and, and create more products to put on the shelves to keep consumers happy, right? It's just this, we're going about living our lives and, And it's, um, you know, and we haven't been paying attention. And so to some degree, this pandemic is a little bit of that wake-up call. Um, It is that one thing that hits us all at once, all at the same time. Because when you think about it, those storms, those rising seas, those droughts, those uh, um, wildfires, they don't hit everybody at the same time in the same way. Whereas this is a global event, is a true mass global event that almost nobody... um, nobody can escape, nobody can ignore it, we're all affected by it. And so, um, you know, it, it, it is her way almost of, uh, and I heard a lot of people say this, this, maybe this is mother nature's way of getting our attention all at once
1: mm-hmm. and,
2: and realizing, um, you know, that we need to change things.
1: I I tend to think it is. I tend to think it's. Hey, dummies, come on! I've been saying, been very polite and nice yeah. about this. I've, I'm I'm losing my patience here. Mm-hmm. And to that end, um, JP, we have a couple people weighing in on the the online chat line, um, mm-hmm. and and I think we'll we'll be able to address these questions. But just to, okay. just to say them for you, we have Kelly asking, "What do you think is going to come of the pandemic?" You and I are going to address that as this conversation unfolds. So, Kelly, yeah. just keep listening. We'll get to it. Jake is asking, do you think we are at fault in this situation? I'll let you chime in on that. I think we're certainly contributing heavily to it. Um, and then Pam is saying, "Do you feel there is a biblical reference in all of this? <laughs> so why don't we just keep um, chatting and because we've sure. got a lot we wanted to cover in your presentation, and I think a lot of all of those questions will probably be at least somewhat addressed, maybe not the last one, I'm not sure. But um, so the next thing that you talked about was short-term versus long-term pain.
2: Yeah. So when you think about how we act as human beings, um, we we're we're terrible. We're almost genetically wired to pay attention to the to the short-term gain rather than the the long-term. You know, preparing. Um, it's just you know kind of who we how we survived right early on. It's um, it's part of our reptilian brain, and so you know we're really. Not good at, um, at paying attention to those long-term signals and making and taking taking the short-term pain to avoid the longer-term even greater pain. Um, so I do see us as a little bit uh, not listening to these warning signs that we've gotten uh, from Mother Nature. We're kind of like the frog in in you know in the water that's slowly being turned up, and we just you know don't take we don't take action because we're not wired to do that. Um, and so that's where I think it's interesting that this pandemic come, comes along when it does because it uh maybe that is what gets us you know uh gets our attention right it snaps us out of that and mm-hmm. um because otherwise we're 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 basically um uh you know uh, continuing just down the path that we're 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 going down and i just think that's part of who we are as human beings so you know are we at fault you know maybe to tie this back to that to that listener's question um you know, sure, you know, we all share the blame for the world being the way it is. We fought for this pandemic. Um, you know, we didn't create it, I don't think. Um, I think this happened naturally. Um, but, you know, nature is um, is a system that balances itself. And um, it's a very delicate interwoven system, but it does balance itself. And who's to say whether or not, you know, our uh, overpopulation, overconsumption resources that on some grand level, you know, nature just senses this these people, you know, seven billion of us or eight billion of us are uh are, are a threat to it and and you know it things happen the way they happen to to take uh you know to address that. I don't know. Um but I do think that you know part of part of what we are as humans is is we have a hard time planning for those long term things, which is why we haven't dealt with uh um you know, ecological issues, we haven't dealt with the uh, economic issues, right, the, the longer term things, you just can't continue to have, you know, the, the resource uh, consumption and the wealth inequality that we have, but we're just not wired to deal with those things that, that well. Um,
1: and yet, of course, you and I both exist to help empower people to be able to do those things, right, which is again, yeah. right, so I want a presence for our listeners that this is a conversation of possibility. Mm-hmm. And so that's really what we want to talk about. And on that note, let's grab our first break. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We've been on the air with J.P. LaCour, the founder and chief connector at Brand Foundations, a firm that helps companies clarify their higher purpose, articulated in their brand, and activated in their culture. He's the chair of the New York chapter of the Conscious Capitalism Movement. He joins us today from the New York City area. We've been talking a bit about the coronavirus. After the break, we're going to talk more about a way forward. Stay with us. We'll be right back. <music>
0: Back to Working On Purpose.
1: Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working On Purpose. If you're just joining us, my guest is L.P. LaCour, the founder and chief connector at Brand Foundations, a firm that helps companies clarify their higher purpose, articulate it in their brand, and activate it in their culture. He's the chair of the New York City chapter of the Conscious Capitalism Movement. In his various roles over the last 20 years, J.P. has been honing his skills as a creative wordsmith, passionate storyteller, and student of human communications, branding, and corporate culture. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. So, JP, before we get into some of the things that you talked about in your presentation about new ways that we live and work, I think it's very useful um, that we presence some of the more, again, of that silver lining. So you've mm-hmm. got a part yep. in your presentation when you talk about, I love it. I love this. I love the whole idea. A funny thing happened along the way to the ap- apocalypse. <laughs> so say more about the points you sure. made there. So, uh, yeah,
2: I, I, I think despite the grim news and what we're seeing with the pandemic, um, we're also seeing some positive changes in how both the planet and humans are responding to it. So the first has obviously been um, everybody has read about less pollution, you know, the water in the canals of Venice running clear. Um, you know, and as I mentioned before the break, you know, nature is a self-balancing system. So clearly um, those those things are happening very quickly. Now, they're not going to last, right? As soon as this passes and traffic starts and factories start, many of those things will, will go back. But what is really positive is that we as humanity have been able to see um, in pretty dramatic fashion how our activity has changed the planet and how when we come to a screeching halt, uh you know what that what, you know uh, and that impact goes away how much how beautiful the planet really is and so the planet's changing we're noticing it and appreciating it and we're also appreciating each other and nature more um i see even here in the new york area uh, a tremendous number of people outdoors uh trying to get uh, uh you know uh leave themselves from the quarantine uh and they are heading to the parks and they're heading to the dirt roads around the reservoirs and they're heading to the recreation path Um uh, so to some degree, to to the point where police have to shut them down or limit the number of people because they got to enforce social distancing. But clearly, we're appreciating nature even more. And then you shut those parks down, we have to stay inside more, and we appreciate it even more. So it's just this sort of virtuous loop of seeing nature heal itself, seeing how beautiful the planet is, and appreciating it more, as well as our our with each other. Right? We're all stuck in the, at home now with our families, and we're rediscovering ways to connect with each other. Uh, to have good family conversations, to break out board games, to get off our devices and talk and really connect, and I think that's a positive development. In addition, it's making us appreciate uh, the little things in life, like toilet paper. I joked about in the presentation, right? <laughs> um, and uh, and and all, but also. Um, you know, uh, less fear of missing out, right? My teenage children and there's a little bit less of like, oh, I'm not out, you know, because everybody's missing out, right? We're all in the same boat. Uh, And people appreciating what they have a little bit more um, and and some gratitude. There's certainly still a lot of fear, a lot left that people are afraid of losing. And some people are going to be, you know, economically devastated um, already but even then there's space to appreciate the little things that we do have. Usually it's our health, right? For those who have, who still have it uh, or haven't lost a loved one. Um, that's an important thing. And I see a lot of people expressing that. Um, I also see us using the technology in new ways. Uh, you know, everybody's on a zoom call now and it's amazing how much we can get done. Um, a lot of clients that I have are in the IT space and they're doing well. There are certainly businesses that are not. Um, but, how much harder would this be if we didn't have that some of this technology and it's holding up pretty well um amazingly well when you consider the load that's being put on it so those are some of the the silver linings that i saw coming out of this and um and ultimately i think they, they they're for the purposes of conscious capitalism they they herald uh, a change in mindset that may accelerate uh, the movement and that was sort of the point of of, of seeing those um those silver linings
1: well, I'll just add two things to that. JP beautifully said. Um, in terms of the of the living uh, changes, just in my little world, um, we don't we, we, like you. We can't go out to the parks, and especially during the full hours. But I, when I run in the early morning, and there's like a handful of people at the whole entire nine mile lake, um, what I noticed is that when I go by, of course, I give a very wide berth of mm-hmm. way past six six <laughs> feet, and I say you know, good morning, the response back is a just like, you know, giddy, good morning. Yep. Like, you know, yep. the connection, people are hungry and like really now appreciate, whereas yep. they might not have responded at all, you know, last week or a few weeks before. Right. Um, And then on the work front, I, I am, what I'm really excited about too, as a silver lining is people will, absolutely have to change what they're doing whether they come back to the same company if they've been furloughed or laid off so what right. does that look like as a new possibility in some cases it's a catalyst for people to actually change and go into what they've been wanting to do for years and haven't been doing yeah, Very so possibly. I'm looking at it from that vantage point of possibility too that this is a reboot for people you know, to do what they want to do professionally and get a chance to really go into a brand new space and yes it's going to take courage probably going to need a coach, going to need some help but it's a brand new world yeah and you get retrained so i also want to be able to presence that possibility for our listeners too absolutely yeah so you already opened this in the beginning here but if you could say a bit more about what you say about this pandemic and the silver lining related to it being a lens for the decision of where we go from here so kelly wants yeah. to know what's going to come of this so help us see it so, from conscious capitalism
2: so yeah so uh- Conscious capitalism sort of posits that that um, first of all, capitalism is the uh, those of us who are leading the movement believe that it is the greatest force for organizing and advancing humanity. And it has um, improved the lives of billions of people and pulled billions of people out of poverty. However, it's also done so at some cost. Uh, Resource consumption, uh, wealth inequality, um, obviously environmental impact. Right. We recognize that. And so. But we also live in a period of time where tackling these big challenges that humanity faces, um, capitalism is going to need to be a part of the solution because, especially free market capitalism, because we are also living in a period of time when we don't there's declining trust in institutions, whether that's in government, media, higher education. Right? We have been living through in the last certainly ten years or so uh, a period of severe decline in those institutions. So they'll have to be part of the solution as well. But so will capitalism, and so. Um, the conscious capitalism movement uh, suggests that in order to do that, uh, the capitalist system is going to need to evolve, and it evolves in four ways. By having um, a, every organization having a higher purpose beyond just making a profit, um, by having a conscious culture uh, that um, serves the we and not just the me uh, and, and takes care, you know, serves that greater purpose, a conscious leadership structure, almost a servant leadership uh, mentality and then also a multi-stakeholder perspective. And so in each of those areas, we, we can see some things happening uh, in companies that seem to show that we're accelerating uh, the adoption of these ideas. So when it comes to purpose, you know, companies um, like uh, LVMH converting over f- factories that produce perfume to uh, doing things like uh, hand sanitizer um, because their purpose is to celebrate life. And to be innovative and creative, those are some of their values. Well, that's a way they can honor that, that greater purpose. Um, or a client of mine, DataBank, which is a data center company whose purpose is to reduce or remove the worry from managing mission-critical uh, IT systems. They, uh, Because uh, clients can't necessarily get to the data center now, they're able to provide, their staff is providing the remote hands to be on site, uh, so you don't have to worry about that. So you see companies sort of embracing purpose. Um, and we're also seeing it in individuals, right? Healthcare workers who continue to show up uh, every day despite the protective gear. They're not doing that for the paycheck. They're doing it because they believe in a higher purpose. So culturally, globally, individually, you know, in companies, we see people embracing purpose. I think that's a good sign um, of advancing the the, uh, the movement. Uh, when it comes to servant leadership, we're seeing great examples of leaders whether that's uh, Mario Cuomo or Dr. Fauci um, or even Jay Powell at the Fed, people are speaking very plainly and directly uh, to the American public and leveling with them and appealing to our better angels. And, um, you know, that instills a a new sense of, I think, what it means to be a good leader. And not only in these individuals that we see, but hopefully in the institutions, right, that we have started to mistrust. And now all of a sudden we realize, wow, how important government is and scientific experts and getting the straight story on these things. So hopefully this is an opportunity for us to rekindle uh, an appreciation for uh, leaders and for what it means to be a leader and for the leading role that some of these institutions can play. And when it comes to culture, uh, you know, I see companies that are. Um, uh you know, instituting things like across the board pay cuts or reducing the executive's salaries so that they can continue to to pay employees and keep them on board. And you see um, companies that have really strong culture will survive this because their their culture is like an immune system, right? It'll help them come out of this, uh, this even stronger in the future. Um, and even individuals at home, like my wife, who are part of online groups that are sewing masks for healthcare workers, like culturally, we're actually getting behind this idea of Something you know, working, sacrificing for the greater good, um, and so even the, in the last tenet of a multi-stakeholder perspective, um, that we see uh, organizations who are uh, thinking about the 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 all of their stakeholders, not just uh, the investor, and that's really a the probably the most challenging tenet of conscious capitalism is that you have to make your decisions with all stakeholders in mind, uh, not only your investors, but employees and families and the public and the environment and your partners. And, um, you know, that that has been long since 1970 when Milton Friedman said corporations didn't need to honor any stakeholder other than the investor. Uh, that has led to, a you know, hollowing out of the middle class and huge wealth disparity. And it wasn't until last summer that the Business Roundtable, uh, the lobbying group of America's largest corporations, kind of turns back on that that mentality, which has ruled for 50 years and said, you know, co- corporations need to have a multi stakeholder perspective, they need to have a higher purpose. So these are all, you know, signs, I think, of, of companies as a result of this pandemic, embracing some of these principles and accelerating the movement uh, overall
1: beautifully said jp just beautifully said and listeners i hope you're starting to recognize just more of why the conscious capitalism movement is so important to jp and i and maybe you can check further into it but i I think you've elucidated it beautifully jp and what i would add to that is in terms of my perspective and the work that i do helping organizations to develop purpose inspired leaders and meaning infused cultures the reason i i do that work is because what it does is it forces a higher gaze and pulls us into our higher states of being Rather than just functioning as people that are doing business to make money, we have the ability to tap into our purpose, our meaning, our passion, and those pull us higher. And so when I look at the the COVID-19 pandemic, what I see is an enormous, huge problem that's calling forth all of our best possible response as a humanity, all of our talents, all of our collaboration, all of our cooperation, and ingenuity, as you talk about. And so to me this is a way to really pull us up back to what you're saying about a silver lining is mm-hmm. our the way we choose to respond to this gives us the opportunity to really be pulled up as a as a, a species and that's what I want to stand in for for the the way forward here amen Right. (laughs) Speaking of speaking of praying, that's what we're going with. All right. Well, let's grab our last break and then we'll get into some of the things that you're doing, JP, to address the, the way forward. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We've been on the air with with J.P. Lacour, the founder and chief connector at Brand Foundations, a firm that helps companies clarify their higher purpose, articulated in our brand, and activated in our culture. He's the chair of the New York City chapter of the Conscious Capitalism Movement. He joins us today from New York City. After the break, as I said, we're going to talk about some of the ways that he can help steward our, our, our shared desired future. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
0: back to working on purpose.
1: Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just tuning in, my guest is J.P. LaCour, the founder and chief connector at Brand Foundations, a firm that helps companies clarify their higher purpose, articulated in their brand, and activated in their culture. He's the chair of the New York City chapter of the Conscious Capitalism Movement. In his various roles over the last 20 years, J.P. has been honing his skills as a creative wordsmith, passionate storyteller, and student of human communications, branding, and corporate culture. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. So for this last segment, JP, what I wanted to get into is I think we have adequately presenced, you know, the opportunity here and some of the problems that have come along as we've we've come to realize just what we're dealing with. Now I want to be able to give our listeners some hope about really what this looks like going forward. So I thought talking about the way you do your work could be a way to kind of presence that. So, sure. right. So going forward, you and I both have been talking about we'll need to help companies launch and reorient themselves into this new future. So. Uh, I want to talk about your unique approach approach at Brand Foundations to do that. So, um, how do you want to start with helping us understand what you do?
2: Sure. So, you know, at heart, we we help companies that are going through a big transition period, usually merger, acquisition, or some change, um, to re- recast the story of who they are, both uh, as a culture and as a purpose, because we think that um, they're they're sort of opposite sides of this same coin and that ultimately you have to go to market with something that's, that's authentic. Um, and that means, a, a, you know, a brand, an outward brand that's also reflective of your internal culture and who you really are. Um, <clears throat> going forward, I think that this whole notion of authenticity is going to, mean to be more important than ever. Um, and having a well-defined purpose um, that's reflected in your culture and in your communications is, you know, one of the quickest ways to do that. Um, and to, and to communicate you know to convey that authenticity um, and i think you know in the wake of this pandemic people's minds will have changed a little bit about capitalism overall and and um, and maybe the importance of profit uh, you know versus a positive impact on society and purpose can help with that as well and um, so we've always we've always believed that that the brand and culture um, you know really Go together, and in 2011, sort of intentionally set out to change the practice from a very traditional marketing firm to to one that brought those two together. Um, one of the tools that we've created to help people sort of articulate that is a as a framework we call Purpose, Way, and Impact. And it uh, basically started with a blog post that we wrote back in 2017 called uh, "Mission, Vision, and Values Are Dead." And uh, it was literally a blog post we put up on uh, on LinkedIn, and it went viral. It was read about a hundred thousand times. And um, what we did is we looked at the, the mission, vision, and values framework as, as a one that had sort of uh, served its usefulness. Um, you know, it first appeared in business school curriculums in the 60s and then um, has largely been tuned out by the modern generation. And, and it didn't have a lot of context. It's hard to know how a mission relates to a vision. Everyone's got a different definition. How do the values tie into it? And so we created a model we call Purpose, Way, and Impact, which is sort of three stages of a rocket. Uh, and so it's easy to remember and tell a story about and um, uh, the first stage is the purpose statement and it's the first stage of the rocket. It's you. What's wrong with the world that I want to change? What can I no longer stand uh, for? I can't stand to exist and have to change that. Uh, the next stage is the way statement and it's going to be the one or two ways you will go about pursuing that purpose that define you and make you different. Not all your core values. just just one or two that we will be known for. Um, This is a shorthand, right? We're brand guys, so we're trying to take a brand lens and put it to this mission, vision, values thing and make it more memorable. And then the third statement is, or the third stage of that rocket is the impact statement. And it's um, unlike a vision statement, which tends to be very inwardly focused. You know, companies will say, we intend to be the best company at, you know, our vision is to be the best company at, blah, 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 blah. And it's usually about them. In this case, an impact statement is sort of, you get into orbit in that third stage of the rocket. You look down at the rest of the world, and if you have achieved your purpose, um, uh, you know what, how has it changed everybody else's life. And so, purpose, way, and impact—these three simple statements—as um, an example in the in the article, we used Southwest Airlines. We sort of made it up. We said, you know, their purpose was to democratize air travel. Right? You're now free to fly about the country. That's even their motto today. Uh, the way they go about doing that is something functional, which is a low cost, right? They don't give you a bunch of peanuts and perks and other crap. They uh, they keep costs down. And instead, they do something very human, which is humor, right? So, something functional about the business and something uh, very human, and that's to use humor, to laugh and just kind of get through the hassle of travel. And that's that defines them, right? They're an airline, so I guarantee you they have safety as a core value, but it's not it's not what they're known for, what they're known for is humor. And so you kind of elevate that in that statement and then their impact statement, right? If everybody can travel, um, lives are enriched, families you know, grow, uh, experiencing, you know, there's more love, more experience in the world, whatever. It's something very aspirational, but if you can achieve that purpose. Um, so that's sort of a model that we've, we've developed that we think is really useful for people to take forward, especially in the wake of this uh, uh, pandemic
1: yeah so two things I want to comment on that really quick, JP mm-hmm. first back on the Southwest Airlines example of you know this is a company that that is often recognized for it being uh, you know consciously capitalistically run yeah. um, the leadership is servant in nature. I would also call it inspirational in nature and 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 for me, I do fly Southwest Airlines and I also have the remarkable experience and this just shows so much about authenticity. Um, I was flying here from Dallas down to, I think, San Antonio one early morning. Um, I'm like the last person on the airplane. And I hear all this commotion behind me. And I'm like, what is going on? Are we, you know, is there a problem with the airplane? Mm-hmm. Well, what's going on is Herb Kelleher is getting on the, on the plane. And he's causing this, you know, this this commotion. For those of you who don't know who the man is, he was the CEO for years. And I think the co-founder and um anyway, he gets on the airplane and you know the whole plane erupts. And then as we take off in the sky, he gets up and he starts handing out peanuts. And then when we get off the plane, JP, in San San Antonio, I mean, I'm following this legacy of a man. And I'm not kidding you. It's like the sea, just people Mm -hmm. leapt from their seats and came to greet him. And and I thought, isn't that beautiful when you can do something like that? And that's what I want for you, listeners, to be able to create a life for yourself where you can be authentic, live your purpose, and make that kind of impact. That's what I want for you, right? So such a great illustration when you brought up Southwest Airlines. The Absolutely. second thing I want I want to say is what you do so beautifully JP one of the many things that I admire about you is and that I I try to teach to my, my people in my leadership programs is the importance of being able to tell a story well, because that is the way that you can enroll them into how they're aligned with the purpose. Where's the meaning for them that they can drink deeply from. And it does take presencing usually through language to do that. And so if you could just say a couple things about that, it's your world, it's your, your, your craft, if you will.
2: Yeah. I mean, um, storytelling at the end of the day is how people re- is what people remember, um, you know, more so than facts. Uh, we remember we, we remember stories. Um, and so the more you can tell a story um, and there's studies that show, you know, our, our, our brains, when we hear a story, leave chemical traces that allow um, that aid in recall um, along the neural pathways. And so we, we remember stories are all more able to pass them along. Um, and they just connect with people. Um, and the other thing too, is that stories all have characters in them. And I think that one of the things that's going to happen as we move forward, um, in, in months and years ahead is that people are, are missing connection. Um, and that's the thing that we're craving the most. And it's the thing that we're going to want the most when we get out of the quarantine. Mm-hmm, and I so, the, you know, the question of how do you create the right kind of connection in the right ways with the right audiences is, is a, is a big deal on how do you tell the right story and understanding character um, and characters and stories is going to be key. And um, you know, for example, people who you could take Apple and Microsoft as just two companies. And when, when and, and that have very different origin stories, Um, and yet you have people who would tattoo themselves with those, with those, um, uh, logos and they're very different, but they are, um, those companies and what they represent is as much about the people as it is the company itself. So if I tattooed myself, um, you know, the origin story of Apple was, was to be a rebel, right? To, to think different. Uh, whereas Bill, Bill Gates was all about a computer on every desktop. It couldn't be more sort of democratic than that. And it really says more about the people who tattoo themselves or gravitate to that product than it does uh, the, even the companies themselves. So understanding the character of their audiences is, is important, and one of the ways we do that is to use archetypes, um, not only in the brand work that we do, which is archetypes have been around for a long time. Um, Carl Jung had theorized at the turn of the century that you know these characters uh, that we all recognize from tens of millennia of storytelling are almost genetically imprinted on us, the hero, the jester, the caregiver, et cetera. So they've been in advertising, but they're also in cultures, too. And we use some tools like Culture Talk as a survey instrument that allows us to measure the presence of archetypes in the culture of our clients, in the differences within their cultures, right? Different departments or as companies merge together, the different archetypes that are there. gives you a really powerful lens to understand the culture, to understand people. We all know these characters, so it becomes a very innate And then they all have a narrative element, so it allows you to tell a story about them um, more easily and to and to create storylines that connect, understand yourself, understand your audiences and and connect with those people with with a good story.
1: So, I, I and I, as you know, when we, you and I both talked before about your archetypes, I think they're incredibly powerful and give, give us access to understand, well, which one do we tend toward in our organization? Incredibly mm-hmm. useful. So now let's tie this back because it starts to sound kind of, you know, ooey and gooey here. So we, we know the <laughs> innate value of brand and culture. That's right. more of our, the space that we live in, the water that we swim in. But for to many business leaders, these intangibles lack a concrete connection to financial impact. So how do you broach that topic with prospects or clients? Yeah,
2: that's a good question. And it's it very difficult. Um, but there are some very visceral truths that we have sort of discovered and found. Um, a lot of our clients come through, uh, like the private equity channel. They are, um, uh, companies that are doing M&A, they're privately owned, they're, they're doing lots of acquisitions. And so we've had a lot of practice having these conversations, um, and mergers and acquisitions drive a lot of that work. And the, so here, one of those truths is that 50 to you know 80%, it's estimated of M&A fails to, um, return, uh, what investors expected. And the reason is, is almost always culture.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: yep. And everyone is doing M and a, or some kind of, you know, there's a lot of inorganic growth that's happening. Um, everybody knows this and most ignore it. And so that's a pretty visceral, um, they can all understand that, right? If you're going to do, um, uh, a- any kind of merger acquisition, you know, there's a high, high likelihood that you're going to have a lot of pain as a result of it. So people know that. Um, While well, that's not a direct financial benefit, they know if they do it wrong, it's going to be a, a, a less of a, a positive outcome than if they do it right. Um, the second thing is that brand and culture are sort of a class of intangible assets that are considered goodwill. And um, the other one would be intellectual property. Um, KPMG has a study out that shows that across something like 17 different industries, uh, and this is only a couple of years old, maybe three, four years old. Uh, Across the 17 different industries, the amount of purchase price that was allocated to goodwill, i.e., you know, your brand and your culture, um, was 50 percent, meaning that half of what people are paying to acquire companies um, and half of what you are selling, you know, the value of what you're selling your company for, is tied up in these two intangible assets. And companies spend a tremendous amount of time um, preparing for an exit or integrating after they've acquired a company. All of these tangible systems and uh, products, financials, um, all of this uh, tangible stuff that we invest in and very little attention is paid to culture and and uh, and brand. And yet that is probably 50 percent of what the value of the company is. And so a lot of what we do is we sort of socialize this idea that, you know, you pay, invest even just a little bit there. And you can have a, an outsized return on what you will sell the company for or what it will be worth um, down the road. And then there's a lot of other studies out there that, you know, KPMG has and, and, and E&Y through their Purpose Institute that show the value of, you know, companies that have a really strong purpose and, and how, you know, I'm sure you're familiar with some of those. Um, the one that I love the most that I think just illustrates the power of a of, a, of, of these intangibles and in particular good story is something called Significant Objects. It was a book there's actually two versions of the book, but it's a it was a study done by two writers who wanted to test the theory that a, a purposeful story could improve uh, the value of a product and what it was sold for. So they literally went out and bought I don't know 100 items from you know, gift, you know thrift stores and from uh, um, uh, backyard sales and these kinds of things, put them up on eBay to see what people would bid for them. And they were things like salt and pepper shakers, little mirrors, combs, just little. The you know, average price was a dollar twenty five. Um, And that's what they got as bids. Then they took those products down off of eBay and they hired professional writers to just write a little backstory and nothing crazy. They didn't say, you know, this was Mrs. Lincoln's comb and mirror set, you know, just this came over on a boat from Europe with my great grandmother. And here's what it meant. You know, some kind of a story. And they put those products back up. And on average, they sold for thirty six dollars. (laughs) <laughs> Which yeah, is like, you know, 4,000% totally increase in what those are. And I really just think that that illustrates the power of value in these intangibles and in a good story. And, um, you know, how you make a company worth more and healthier and happier, um, you know, through this
1: stuff. Well and so from my vantage point JP that just connects to people want to be part of or connected to things that are meaningful or purposeful right so mm-hmm. if those salt and pepper shakers came with grandma who who is your beloved and she created all these memories and mm-hmm. somehow you get connected to that space um that's that's where it is i mean mm-hmm. I, that makes complete sense i thought you were going to go there when you started saying things putting things on ebay so <laughs> We're almost out of time, JP. So sure. I want I want to give you a chance to one choose one of the other questions. Either opportunities that you see going forward that we can adroitly navigate in this new business world. One minute on that, or however else you want to leave the the, the listeners with. Which one do you um, want to choose?
2: Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll leave you just with with one thought, which is that um, uh, first, you know, you opened it by talking about hope. I think we definitely want to give people hope. We, we will get through this. Um, humans have incredible, uh, uh, capacity to adapt. Um, and we will, I think on the backside, if we make the right decisions, we'll leave the world better, uh, than we found it. I certainly hope so. We'll, we'll, we'll be more prepared for the next time this kind of a thing happens. Um, and as far as, you know, one piece of advice, maybe for the, for, for your audience, I would say, um, do the hard work to define, you know, your brand and your culture and your purpose, but most importantly, put it in writing, um, in simple terms that people, can remember uh, that are universal, right? Uh, Especially to the character of your audience. The best example I think we have of this is the Declaration of Independence. Um, We argue about all things in this country, Uh, the Supreme Court, foreign affairs, right? Whether we go into quarantine, whatever. Um, But everybody universally looks at that document and thinks, yeah, I agree with that. And if you can take that same approach in your own brand and your culture and your purpose and put it in writing, In universal ways that people recognize and that are authentic and reflect who you are, um, that can give you tremendous longevity and resiliency. And you know, this country has survived for almost 300 years, um, you know, based on the ideals that were laid down in that document. And um, um, I'm optimistic that that uh, we will survive, you know, even another 300 years as a result of that. So.
1: Beautiful way to finish, JP. Thank you so very much for coming on the show, sharing your heart, your soul, your experience, and helping us see a new way forward. Very much appreciated.
2: Uh, thank you, Elias. It's been great. Uh,
1: and for me to add on to what he said, what I would just say is, and we need each one of you to really dig in and from your purpose, your authenticity to contribute to the world that we want to create for ourselves. So that's, we need you individually as well. So please join join us in the movement to create the world that we all want to live in. So if you want to learn more about J.P. LaCour and the work he and his team are doing at Brand Foundations, go to the website. It's just brandfoundations.us. Last week, if you missed the live show, you can always catch it via recorded podcast. We were on the air with Hector Garcia talking about the delightful book he co-authored called The Book of Ichigo Ichie, The Art of Making the Most of Every Moment, The Japanese Way. Timely as we shut ourselves away at home, I thought. Next week, we'll be on air with David Grayson talking about the link he sees between purpose and ethics and five attributes of leadership to sustainability. See you there. Remember that work is at least a third of our life, so let's work on purpose.
0: We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Elise Cortez, each week on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, find your life's purpose at work